Let's talk a bunch of different topics. How her career get there. This is a podcast with Lauren Ascari. All set. Ready? Mm -hmm. All right. Welcome to the Lauren Asgari podcast, How'd Her Career Get There? And my guest today is Christine Michelle Carter. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thrilled to have you. Um, So Christine is a a global marketing strategist, and in addition to that, has wrote for magazines like Forbes, Time, Entrepreneur, Health, profiled in CNBC, New York Times, and Women's Health. So a long list there, a long (laughs) list. Um, So let's kind of jump right into it and get started with, um, to provide a little bit of context, kind of your background. Where'd you grow up, siblings, only child? Sure. What was life like? Sure. So I am a Baltimore hun, hence the (laughs) fact that I said Baltimore and not Baltimore. Born and raised here. I grew up in the Guilford area close to Johns Hopkins University. I have an older sister through my father and a younger brother through my mother. I was raised with my younger brother um, and have always been very interested in the growth and development of Baltimore and the preservation of Baltimore. I love being a Baltimore hun. Um, I got my career started with a regional retailer, Fire and Ice, which was a jewelry, or is a, because it's still in business, a jewelry and fossils company. I was their director of marketing. Um, Moved from that company to starting my own company. So I did business develop, well, retail business development for the city. Uh, I worked with small business mom and pop retailers. I did their marketing, advertising, public relations. My company, along with Downtown Partnership of Baltimore, founded Baltimore Retail Week, which was nine years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, After I decided that my husband and I wanted to have a child and I needed health care, I went back to the corporate world and started working for Zipcar. So because of my experience with working with the city, uh, I got a job as the person who helped launch the Baltimore market for Zipcar and did that for about five years. So I worked with like Hopkins, I worked with University of Maryland, I worked with the real estate developers to put Zipcar all around the city. And then after that, I had my second child, West, who is now three years old, and went to McCormick, where I am now. Okay. Mm-hmm. And when you were when you were little, did you know, like, when I want to grow up, I want to be in the marketing space? Or what were you like no. as a kid? You know, I went to Grace and St. Peter's, and we used to, I don't know if they still do this now, because that was like 80 years ago, but we, every Wednesday, used to go to the Walters Art Gallery, and I fell in love with that museum and decided that I wanted to become a museum curator or an art dealer. So I honestly, I came, we're sitting right now in Stevenson University. I came to Stevenson University and when it was Village Julie College and studied interdisciplinary studies. I was one of 11 folks and I was the first on the campus history to ever do um, interdisciplinary studies as a freshman because they didn't offer art history and business. So I really had to take ownership of my degree because there was no set path. Um, And I worked with my advisor and of course I graduated with that degree in art history and business that's what I really wanted to do and then how did you get into so you graduated and then what mm-hmm. took you to kind of start your own business and do the other things instead of so what transitioned me into marketing was that when fire and ice was developing their website um, their e-commerce channel 
they not only carried jewelry, but they carried fossils, and there was a lot of history that went along with the products that they sold. So that, that I had a background in that. So I could speak to that and write about that for the website. Um, and then it just transitioned into loving the actual retail side of the business mm-hmm. more, and the products that were sold and the relationships that retailers um, and own business owners have with their products. And I just fell in love with that idea and supporting them. And I said, okay, I'm supporting that for one retail Taylor right now how can I do that for many so that's what made me open up my own business okay Mm -hmm. cool cool so I'm gonna go back to uh, talking about Baltimore because I grew up around Baltimore and I'm just I've been here most of my life so I'm a huge like I feel like Baltimore sometimes I love talking with people about Mm -hmm. this because I feel like sometimes Baltimore like doesn't get the love that it should like it always gets like when it's in the news like it's always the air quoting this like bad side of the city yeah. instead of showing like all the great things that it has yeah how do, what it's like your perspective on that having grown S- up here yeah so i've seen the city go through enormous transition over you know i'm 32 years old over the years that i've been able to be cognizant of what's going on around me and i have had the luxury of being in roles that have allowed me to work with the 220 plus neighborhoods that Baltimore has to offer. So I get the, I have the perspective of getting to know the Hamden Huns and getting to know the people in Park Heights. That's where my family is actually from. And getting to know the Guilford side and getting to know the Roland Park where I currently live. And every neighborhood offers such a different perspective and, and different, and they bring a different part of like diversity to Baltimore, mm-hmm. which I think that you won't get in other cities, other major cities. And so I, I appreciate that about our city. And, and Yes, it's a, a very hardworking, blue-collar city. I like that, too. I like the fact that it's very honest. Um, it's not a pretentious city at all, and you have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and really show that you bring something to the table. Mm-hmm. And I like that about this city. Yeah, me too. Me too. And I feel like even when you go through parts of the city that maybe um, – not people outside of the city maybe don't go to all the time yeah like you get to see like the architecture of the city and totally. the history of the city is just like, I totally. like it's really underappreciated yeah so. and how and i actually just did a piece for style magazine about why i'm choosing to raise my kids in the city and why i still live in the city i think that having my kids be born and raised in Baltimore City just makes them much cooler, makes them much ground more grounded than somebody who grew up in like the country or something like that or grew up in the South. They just they have a, a unique perspective that many other young kids today may not have. Yeah, absolutely. When is your uh, when's your style magazine? Um, it no. is coming out the September issue. Okay. All yeah. Right. So everyone check that out. <laughs> um, so what, when you were, when you were going through your career, what were some things, um, I'll say hurdles that you had or were there any, or was it pretty smooth sailing? <laughs> you guys can't see me, but I'm a young black woman. <laughs> hurdles. Life's uh, <laughs> right. Exactly. Life's, life's just a, a sailboat. It's a dream. <laughs> no, um, Gosh, I dealt with ageism like you wouldn't believe. You know, a lot of people thought that I couldn't possibly bring innovative ideas to the table because I was green. But I think that when you are looking, look at how technology has progressed so quickly. And my generation grew up with that progression. So we're just innovative inherently. 
um, we don't necessarily need to have that kind of experience and I kind of had to bring that perspective to a lot of the folks that I worked with it's not the fact that I have been a business owner for 30 years and whatnot and I'm advertising in the newspaper no I didn't do any of those traditional things I, I always tried to bring to my clients an innovative cost-effective approach um, so over time they got used to that idea versus the traditional advertising that some of them wanted to do so I dealt with the ageism I dealt with the racism of course I dealt with um, some of the the gender stereotypes you know it, when I decided to uh, have my daughter and go back to the corporate world if I didn't want to go to a happy hour just for the mere fact that I'm not I'm an introvert I don't like to do that it was oh she wants to be home with her daughter or she's you know a homebody and it wasn't necessarily that wasn't necessarily the case so I, and I, I think that my situation is no different from many women many working women mm-hmm. So how do you, in kind of all those categories, right, age, race, gender, what kind of tips or advice do you have for people that are maybe having those same challenges? Like how do they yeah. get past that mm-hmm. if they're not, if it's not natural to them to do that? Keep a list of everything you've done and put numbers to it and let your work speak for itself. So whenever someone came to me and said, um, Oh gosh, for example, let's say if a client was coming to me and said, I really don't see the value in us putting out a press release, then I would have examples of clients that I had worked with within a similar industry or, or a similar lane and how it was successful, the, the media outreach that we did. Or if I was working for um, an actual company and it was a question about gosh, like a a project that I wanted to start or if I wanted to get promoted to a new role. I remember when I worked for Fire and Ice and I started off in their web department, moved to being the director of marketing. There was a question about my age then and I was still at Stevenson University and there was a question if if I could run a marketing department and I prepared a 40-page proposal as to why I could run the department and my plan for the year and everything as if I was opening up my own business under the company like a sub-brand. And I got the job, but I always, I recommend that no matter what you do, always have the numbers and the facts and figures to back it up because people can't say anything to that. They can come with the stereotypes as much as they want, their own assumptions, everybody has them. But as long as you have the numbers to back up that you are actually, you know, our boss, then you're good. So where's your perspective on the stereotype of millennials and yeah. what they, whether it's whatever it is, entitled and lazy? Yeah, I know. I hate that. <laughs> I, I try to debunk that quite a bit from, for like the past it. two years from my Forbes articles. I always come with the facts. That's my favorite thing to do. Um, but it's just simply not true. I, I, I hate when people say that we're lazy, that we're entitled, that we're cheap. You, you know, listen, we grew up with the Great Recession. We grew up, well, we started working in the Great Recession. We grew up with the terror attacks you know we saw our parents struggle we are penny pinchers and we have to deal with things like this this housing situation you know like having I've read something that said 60 something percent of Millennials regret buying a house yeah we do because we were told to do it mm-hmm. you know I, I've owned houses and hated it and it was because I was told to do it and so we, we're struggling with a lot more than people assume and they these you know assumptions that they make about us is, is just completely untrue and it's unfair mm-hmm. it's just really unfair what do you think uh, changes that? Does that just evolve as the next generation comes in under millennials? and then? You know what I love about Generation Z? Um, I've done a bit of research on them, too. I've done a bit of research on them as uh, just individuals and then as mothers. They are so similar to Gen X. And, you know, God bless them. But Gen X has given us such flack, like just such 
problems. They're the ones who say that we're entitled and lazy and all of that because most of our parents are baby boomers. And But Generation X, I just, whenever I think of them, I think of assumptions and stereotypes. Right. I think of like um, the Breakfast Club for some reason. I, and I think of like the oversized sweaters and the angst and the emo. <laughs> and all. That's what I feel like as a whole generation, which is so, it's unfortunate. But that's what I think of when I think of them. And Gen Z is very, they are very, um, oh gosh, what is the word I'm looking for? They're not idealistic at all, I guess, compared to millennials. We, in despite of everything, in spite of everything we go through, we always think that there's their light at at the end of the tunnel. Generation Z is not like that. They are very practical, just like Gen X. You know, yeah. I, I just think that that's funny. And so is. Uh and I'm on, I want to take this conversation in a bunch of different directions because of a few things that you said there. What advice do you have for, in, or based on your experience, uh, for working moms, right? Mm-hmm. So the challenges that face, or dads, I shouldn't say, just say yeah. moms, right? Parents that work, um, yeah. and the balance of, I'm air quoting balance, I guess, the balance of that and working. And sacri- yeah. Do you think that you have to sacrifice one to have success in the other? I wouldn't say sacrifice. I would say prioritize. Even though my beat is supposed to be about work-life balance, I changed it, I think, recently to say how parents are tackling work in life. And if I didn't, I'm going to do it after this. <laughs> but um, it's because it's kind of like the scales of justice kind of bit. Like sometimes you're going to be focused more on work and you aren't going to be able to dedicate so much to the kids. That's fine. That's normal. You know, if that's parenting, you're doing it for the greater good. I think that that needs to be said because a lot of people feel guilty about that Mm -hmm. and then sometimes you're going to be focused on the kids which you should be you know when you're on vacation you don't need to check work emails all that kind of stuff but sometimes you're going to be focused on the kids and work is going to fall by the wayside and that's fine Mm -hmm. I feel like giving yourself a break like when the pendulum swings one way or the other yeah giving yourself a break and being like all right, at any given moment, I'm doing the best that I can do exactly. in whatever that is and being present in whatever that is present. is exactly. the most important yep. thing. So what, in terms of your experience so far, what type of professional mentors have you had? Like what have they, if any, I should assume yeah. that you've had some, um, have you had any, I guess? Yes, I have. Okay. Uh, some of the most impactful have been female, Okay. always. And it wasn't, uh, it had nothing to do with them being female, it just... Coincidentally, as I look back, the professionals I have been most impressed with have been female. They were go-getters. They were detail-oriented. They were collaborative. At the same time, they were great leaders and inspirational women. Mm -hmm. It just, so be it. So we are. (laughs) (laughs) And did you see things within them that you naturally gravitated to or saw, all right, I'm going to pull a piece of you know, how she does things and how the next one does things and kind of incorporate into how you handle yourself professionally or personally? Mm -hmm. Or was it more of a formalized relationship? Like, will you be my mentor? Can I meet with you once a month? Mm -hmm. I think for some people, for in talking with maybe people earlier in their career, they kind of struggle with that. If they're not naturally outgoing, Mm -hmm. uh, they kind of struggle with that. How do I get somebody to kind of mentor me without, do I ask? Do I just assume that they want to? Yeah. Um, What was your experience? Um, I never asked or assumed somebody wanted to. There were folks who came to me and always offered me advice and saw that because of... um, 
because I proved that I was capable and proved myself time and time again and constantly have to, that they wanted to help me. I think people in the professional world want to help those who are showing that they are helping themselves in a way. So I've never had to reach out to somebody, but for the folks, for the women that I think were the strongest mentors that I've had, I just picked up informally pieces of them and adopted that and incorporated that into my professional, I guess you would say, um, uh, myself professionally. Okay. Yeah. And when you go in, have you had a time in your career or story that jumps out that you've, whether it's gone into a meeting or talked with somebody or whatever it was Mm -hmm. that you walked out and you're like, ah, my gosh, I wish that I didn't just do that. Or that was a big misstep. Have you had any of those that kind of jump off the page to you? Yeah, hello, that's life. You know, I'm going to listen to this podcast and go back and be like, you idiot, why did you say that? I mean, constantly, we all do that all the time. Um, what, I, I think back to an article that I wrote for Forbes about imposter syndrome. And the the situation that I set up was uh, when I was on the train to headed to New York for a meeting with, I think it was with Google. I can't remember who the meeting was with now at the moment, but I had bought a first class ticket and I got on the train and I got lost, couldn't figure out where first class was. And I asked a gentleman, like, excuse me, do you know where it is? And he was like, there is no business class. I'm first class. You're in the right section. Just sit down. And I was like, well, I, I, I think that I'm not. My ticket says first class. So I you know, ended up making my way there. But I felt like, you know, was it I, with, with people my age, um, with millennials, we constantly deal with that imposter syndrome. That goes back to what you said. Like, you always feel like, oh, man, should I have said that? And that's the, mo- that's the feeling that I was getting when I was on the train. I was like, did I do I not look professional enough to be in first class? Is it because I'm a woman? Is it because I'm young? Is it because I'm black? Like, why did he not think that I belonged in first class and that I'm going on a business trip? So right. what's that self-doubt? Ex- exactly. So I think that we all have those moments of self-doubt. And that was probably the biggest for me. That ended up being a huge article for Forbes because so many people my age could relate to that. Mm-hmm. We constantly feel that way. Right. And so when you get in those modes, do you now, do you notice yourself in times like that? To your point, it's just life, right? Right. Kind of like an internal thing saying, just say it, say what you're thinking. Or do you have that kind of inner monologue or do you think that makes, should people do that? Well, I always say what I'm thinking. If anything, I'm always saying to myself, why did you say that versus you should have said that. (laughs) Right, exactly. I need a filter. But um, in those moments, I just say to myself, um, you're in the room for a reason. And the perspective that you provided was asked for because you were sitting in the room. Somebody asked you to come to the room. Mm-hmm. So don't doubt that you bring something valuable to the conversation. Um, something else that I, I would say to myself is that sometimes it's I have to remind myself that it's in my head. It's not necessarily how somebody is perceiving me. It's how I'm perceiving myself. Yeah, I love that you're in the room for a reason. Yeah. I haven't heard that. Is that like your tagline or something? It is. I actually said it to a friend a couple days ago because she was dealing with the same thing. I love that. I love that. Um, What is in your job right now, uh, or in all the things that you do, I shouldn't just say your, your, quote, day-to-day job, but in everything that you do from the writing that you do and the different events that you go to and the involvement that you have in the community, um, what would you say is the best thing about your industry as a whole? Hmm. I, when I first start, so 
God bless my mom. But I started working at 12 years old. Okay. So I was working full time for March Funeral Homes through a program with the city, like some type of like for younger people, they did jobs. So I was working at 12 years old um, and I've worked pretty much full time ever since then because my mom had her own business. So I, so I helped her out. But um, because I worked at such a young age, when I first started, I was the only young person. And I kind of let that imposter syndrome get in my head. And I was thinking, oh, it's because I'm the only young person here that I have to deal with being talked down to and all those kinds of things. What I like about my industry now is that I'm surrounded by folks my age. Like they, they may be more junior than me, but I'm surrounded by people my age. They might be my peers. I get to see like their ideas come to life. I, I, I get to hear their perspective. And it almost always aligns with mine. It's nice now. I, I feel like we're a community. You know, and, and, and when I'm writing, I see other millennial writers. When I'm speaking at events, it's folks that are my age. And that's nice because I didn't have that when I had to, like, be a director of marketing in my 20s. I didn't see other people my age. It was right. a bunch of older white men in the room that right. I was talking to. Right. So that's nice. And what, uh, on the flip side of that, what is kind of the underbelly of your industry? Gosh, the underbelly of my industry is I, I think that sometimes we still have to fight those stereotypes, probably. We still have to prove internally and then also to the folks that are in the room that we deserve to be in the room. Mm -hmm. Yes, we were invited to it, but that doesn't mean everybody always thinks we should be there. So sometimes we do have to deal with that. Mm -hmm. in, in the space that you're in, is there a lack of marketing to consumers across the board, diversity of consumers, mm -hmm. right? Do you think yeah. that in general marketing products goes to, and whether it's age, race, gender, mm -hmm. whatever it is, do you think that in general the advertising or marketing world needs to include everyone in how they're marketing products or not? As, yeah. Do you think it's not an issue? So there, there is that that was an issue. However, uh, I think it was last year Nielsen released the um, uh, the uh, gosh, it's, I want to say black girls something or the spending power of black women. I know it ends with our science, her magic. And it showed how I uh, believe that women of color, Latina women and black women, um, have a, a extreme buying power. And I'm stuttering because I'm always thinking of numbers in my head and I'm mm -hmm. trying to remember the numbers. But there's a lot of buying power there and brands are starting to see that. So they're shifting some of their brands to focus on the multicultural consumer. But that wasn't the case like five years ago mm -hmm. or even two years ago. And I like to see, and, and, and this typically starts that it's the shift in entertainment right so there are more t tv shows on that feature people of color and more diversity and then it hits the brand so it's nice to see that the brands are finally catching up and when you do most in terms of the topics within all the articles that you've uh, written about is there do you write about things because you have a knowledge base it seems like in a whole several different areas right mm -hmm. and a unique perspective and viewpoint mm -hmm. uh, when you're doing your writing do you look for hey these are particular topics that I want to tackle or is it just kind of my perspective on whatever Forbes asked me to write about actually I wish Forbes asked me to write about <laughs> things I'm always coming to them with I like I have to I, I don't I don't get assigned articles I have to come up with an article 
pretty often. Um, right now I'm on a monthly basis, but they want more and it's oh, exhausting. Wow. Yeah, it's, exa- right. no, it's right. exhausting. <laughs> but um, I tend to try to stick to an honest view of parenting and I always try to cover the challenges that mostly moms are facing as working moms and then provide them with data to show how their challenges are similar to other women or how they can overcome it. So some of my recent articles have been about um, how the Great Recession affects still affects us today, 10 years later as mothers, and how we have to consider our kids' future differently, how we invest differently in their future, um, how fatherhood has changed over the years. So things, things of that nature is pretty much what I try to write about. Okay. Okay. What do you see as kind of the next evolution like for you? Like continuing to do what you're doing, you're in love with the marketing side of things. Mm -hmm. Is that where you want to continue to go? Yeah, I I would always want to be in marketing strategy. Uh, Folks ask me that question all the time. And honestly, the fact that I just got out of bed is like me thinking in the future. (laughs) Honestly, like I I don't have a plan. I really don't. I don't even have a plus. As they say, a Phoebe (laughs) said on Friends, I don't. I I know I need a plan. But I always want to stay in marketing strategy for sure. I always want to be writing for sure. I've been writing for 10 years. it's something that I love to do. And I, I think that I'm, it's one thing to speak your mind, it's another to speak it and have the data and facts that support your argument. So I always want to continue to do that. What's your uh, perspective on social media, influencer marketing, mm-hmm. things like that affecting, um, yeah. Purchase brands in general. Yeah. So I, I I gave a talk at the Public Relations Society of America convention, and I was discussing the article I wrote for Forbes about influencer marketing and moms as social media influencers. And I started the talk off by saying it's no different than the Tupperware industry, you know, 60 years ago. It's no different. It's still women referring products and services to other women and doing it because of ego, to feel like they're leaders within their community. Um, So I think that if it was happening 60 years ago, it's going to keep happening 60 years from now. It will evolve into a new medium. Mm -hmm. It's no longer going to be today. It's no longer the direct sales that it was 60 years ago. Um, Now it's done on social media and it'll evolve 60 years from now. It's fascinating to me how the patterns of human behavior remain the same. And to your point, the medium that changes just gets introduced to a new one. That's what makes a good marketer is understanding that behavior. (laughs) Exactly. Um, What what advice would you give to people that are maybe uh, just out of school or early in their career? Um, Just in general, like what advice would you give them? If you're going to say, these are my one or two lessons that I learned early on. I would say make your mark. Uh, at your company and you can make your mark as it doesn't have to be something extremely significant you don't have to do some work on some project that has this enormous cost savings or whatnot but make your mark and document it and keep track of it I always say document 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 because when you are looking to climb the corporate ladder you will have examples of how you were able to make your mark within the organization even if it was supporting a project for somebody else um, if it ended up being a class that you took to further your professional development skills, there is always small wins that you can take in early in your career. 
And what for, for people, one, one thing that uh, commonly comes up when I talk with, I'll say specifically women, but it can be uh, like men too, obviously, but when it comes to compensation or negotiation, mm-hmm. that can be a challenge area for mm-hmm. them. Have you experienced that in your career? Oh, you, yeah. Yeah. What kind oh, of like, yeah. I'll tell you, so, yes, I'll tell you a great story. Uh, when I was with Fire and Ice, I made that 40-page proposal to become the director of marketing, and I sold myself short at the end and said that my compensation should be just about $35,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And I got talked down to like 27 or 28, something like that, extremely low. Um, And I didn't do my research on what other directors were making. And then I also felt like because I was still in school that I deserved to make less. I didn't even think about um, my potential. And sometimes we kind of look back at our experience and don't think about the potential that we could possibly bring. That should be factored in as well, along with the peer salaries. I certainly don't make twenty-seven or twenty-eight thousand now. I've learned my lesson right, for right. sure, but um, I, I do. I think we sell ourselves a little bit too short, and it's because we aren't doing the research. And then we also get into our heads and think we deserve less. So, do you think asking for more than what you're? And I'm going to put you on the spot here. Like yeah. How would you position that? So. You're 22 years old or 21, however old you are. You're in the room with somebody that's offering you a job. Yeah. You, you take the first offer. You push back on You push it. back. You always push back on the first offer. And um, a little tip that I have when, I'm, when I've negotiated salaries since then, for sure, is before I walk in the room, I'll say something like, 842,000, 842,000, 842,000. I just keep repeating that number in my head so that when I actually present the number that I want to be my salary, that number doesn't seem outrageous. Because once you have that number, like for example, if I was wanted to a position and it was like an $80,000 position, if I that's the first number I'm hearing in my head all day, I'm going to think, good God, $80,000, that's such a big number. Right. But if I'm out in the hall saying to myself, 842, 80 doesn't seem like that big of a number oh very practical tip yeah i love that yeah i love that yeah um what for uh oh, you said something else there oh for um clothes dress mm-hmm. like if you're going i don't know how much client like i guess in your current role how much uh like client if your clients are internal yeah customers, right stakeholders but in any event if you're going to a client meeting versus or speaking, speaking public yeah uh, yeah i was gonna say public speaking speaking on a panel right or you're yeah. going to like a happy hour networking event like what type of dress do you recommend for people i try to keep it very simple i love ann taylor i love calvin klein some really clean lines things that people really can't notice if you wear many many times i say that guys right now i have on jeans and my my sneakers because <laughs> it's friday That's right. uh, but yeah i try to keep it really simple i usually um with black women our hair is an extension of pretty much our soul so i will change my hair a lot and that's not typical in corporate America and I still am struggling with that but sometimes I'll wear braids sometimes I'll wear a wig like yesterday I was in New York I spoke at blog her and I had a fro like it really just depends and it's um, a nice but, tight bun today yeah and it's a nice <laughs> tight bun today so it really it, 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 it that changes but um, I try to keep my wardrobe pretty consistent okay so I'm going to switch to uh, rapid fire questions okay um, actually before I go to that anything else that we didn't cover that you want to 
talk about? I think that we covered it. If folks have questions for me, my email is christine.michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L, dot carter at gmail.com, and I can answer their questions if they have some. Perfect. And I mentioned in the beginning, but just to reiterate, check out some of Christine's articles, Forbes, Time, Entrepreneur, Health Magazine, Profiled, CNBC, New York Times, and Women's Health. Uh, a lot of writing, a lot of good content. A lot of writing. So. <laughs> um, all right, so rapid fire. So I'm just going to give okay. you two options, and you pick whichever one. Okay. Beach or ocean? Beach. Shark or lion? Lion. Carrots or broccoli? Carrots. Classic or contemporary? Contemporary. Open road or open waters? Open waters. Uh, scuba diving or, or outer space? Ooh, scuba diving. All right, that's it. That's yeah, all I, I love water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, my guest is Christine Michelle Carter. Thank you so much for Thank you us. for having me. I loved it. It was fun. This is awesome. Yeah. Is awesome. Uh, and this is the Lauren Asgari podcast, How'd Her Career Get There? All right, we're back because I had another question. <laughs> <laughs> how, how did you get into it? Tur- I turned off the microphone and then I asked her another question and uh, we both thought it would be valuable for people. How did you get into uh, the writing? Sure. So when I had my retail marketing firm to establish credibility as a retail uh, marketing expert, I reached out to trade publications. And this actually is a great a question for the audience because this is like the number one question I get asked. I'm so sorry. How do I start writing or how can I start writing? So um, to gain the credibility, I started writing for trade publications. So I do recommend that folks do that. Like what's an example of a trade publication? So Consultant Journal is a blog um, because I was a consultant. Um, the, oh gosh, like the National Retail Federation, um, eMarketer, Social Media Today. I started writing for publications like that. Just small pieces and I built up enough of those that over time um, the first major publication that asked me to write for them was Inc. Um, and then from there I was featured uh, I was profiled in Ebony which again just adds to your credibility and then that's how I started writing for Forbes and whatnot and all of the others that came. And then for you this it occurred to me also because you described yourself earlier in the conversation as an introvert mm-hmm. which you don't seem like I am. introverted at all I am so is that <laughs> so in terms of like the writing stuff and um, the speaking and those engagements do you just because the the content for lack of a better word to put it is is in you right like you have something to say you have a voice you have a perspective and you want to get it out is that what drives you to do that stuff or like for people that are maybe introverted mm-hmm. but want to do that is that just like a did you feel like I, I have to do it like or did you feel like I, I what about people that are introverted to yeah. go do that type of stuff well you know I'm really big on personal connections so pretty much everybody I meet I try to have conversations with them and I have a great memory so and I think maybe that has to do with owning my own business and like that sales background of selling yourself mm-hmm. I try to remember something about everybody I meet so whenever I do um, interview somebody on stage or if I have to speak on stage I really make it a point beforehand to speak to people one-on-one in the audience or speak to the person that I'm interviewing or the panelists that I'm, I'm, I'm doing the moderation for um, and that helps me because I live off of personal connections versus just going on a stage and talking like I'm Steve Jobs mm-hmm. or something like that yeah gotcha gotcha okay cool uh, that's it I'll probably ask you another question right <laughs>